Right, well, we're um, kind of continuing, really, in uh, something uh, of a, a kind of Easter mode, really. I, it was only last week that it was Easter, uh, as uh, we've already been reminded. Welcome back if you've been away. I think Peter's probably already said that. Was Easter good? Do you enjoy Easter? Had a good time, everybody? Good, yeah. So good to get some sun, get time off, and, and also to reflect on these great events of, of the Christian faith. And uh, that's what it's all about. And, and as we've been kind of focusing on Easter ourselves here at Portsmouth Church, so uh, we've particularly uh, this year focused quite a lot on, on the cross, on what Jesus did on the cross. That's why we had that nailed it um, uh, kind of uh, campaign is too strong a word for it. But anyway, we're using that slogan. Uh, people picked it up on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, really, I, I don't know. I just, we just felt that it was really important that, that we, we understood just exactly um, what Jesus has done and what it, it meant to us. And that the fact that he died as a result of sin and he died for our sin, the wrong in our lives, seems to be quite poignant, really, as we see the world as it currently is. There's such a, I don't know about, about you, I think somebody put on, on, on one of their Facebook testimonies, didn't they, that, that because he know that I'm not overwhelmed by all the kind of evil that I see around me as the world events and other things that are going on. Uh, and, you know, Easter Sunday uh, becomes really special uh, in the light of what happened before. When we see what Jesus did when he died on the cross, and we see that the resurrection kind of brings that to completion, and, and celebrations are certainly in order. So we've been kind of on that whole kind of thinking about Easter theme. I don't know why this isn't working, Bill, but it's not. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, and last week we were thinking about the, the message that the, the, the early disciples took out onto the streets of Jerusalem just, just six weeks after uh, the event uh, of the resurrection itself. Very shortly, and I won't go all, over all of that again. But uh, their big message was partly that God had raised Jesus to life. They went out telling the people of Jerusalem about a real person, a historical event. Uh, backed up by credible witnesses. Uh, that, uh, and behind it all was this, this truth that God had been doing something really amazing. And if God exists and, then, uh, and he is God, then he can intervene. He can do amazing things. It's in his, his right to do so. That's what a miracle is. And, uh, and uh, we talked about all of that last week. And if you didn't get it, then you can hear it online if, if you want to. But we also saw last week that if it is true, then as they discovered on the streets of Jerusalem, that it will have implications. Implications for them in their lives then and implications for us now. Um, do you remember the disciples went on to talk about God's promise, a promise of forgiveness for the, for the people who rejected Jesus and crucified him, even those people in Jerusalem who, who were kind of baying for his death in the crowd and how that same forgiveness is open to us for our rebellion against God and, and a promise of a way into knowing God in their lives by the Holy Spirit as they turn and they trust in Jesus, as they repent and believe, as they say, yes, it's for me. Thank you, Lord, I, I want that. I turn from my rebellion and I trust you. We, we looked at all of that last week. Now, today we're picking up on something else, and we're going to be following it through over the next few weeks 
up until uh, Pentecost Sunday in about uh, six weeks' time. This is six weeks, isn't it? Between, yeah, thank you. Look at Peter knows the liturgy better than I do. Right? Yeah, so, so uh, over the next six weeks, we're kind of going in that direction. And, and the big idea we're getting, or we want to be focusing on, is not that Jesus was just alive that he is exalted uh, on the streets of Jerusalem. Do you remember Peter said uh, that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God? He's the king. He's the promised Messiah. And more significantly, the Lord. That word, as we heard last week, was going to be uh, applied uh, primarily to Caesar at the time when uh, Luke was writing the book of Acts. Jesus is not just alive. There's more to it than that. You know, a number of people have uh, been raised from the dead. There are people in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. There are people uh, uh, around the world, uh, I understand. I could tell you some stories, but I won't now. I, I, I'll just, uh, I, I've heard one story face, you know, from the per- a person who knew something that happened in the country of Bhutan uh, over in uh, uh, South Asia. Uh, so it, it has happened, it does happen, it did happen in Bible times. I believe it occasionally happens today. People do, rarely. But only one person has been raised from the dead and ascended to God as king. And that's Jesus. And that's what we're thinking about. Because that's going to mean something. Because if Jesus is the ascended king, if it's not just that he came back to life, the fact that he was dead and it then became alive is not the main thing, actually. The main thing is what it kind of proves about him and what he goes on, the position he goes on to kind of inherit or to take as the ascended, exalted king of everything. That's what the Bible tells us. And that means something. uh, It means that uh, we're not just people who believe certain stuff, certain things, although we do. We're not just people who follow a particular way of life, but we do as Christians. There's something else that's going on that flows out of the truth that Jesus is that exalted king. That as the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he is uh, at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's where we're going over the next few weeks. We're thinking about the fact that Jesus is the exalted king. We celebrated on Ascension Day. He has taken the highest honor. And I want us to begin by going right back to the very first person who saw Jesus alive on Easter Day. Who's that? Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. Let's uh, uh, turn to it. It's on page 1089. If you've got the Bible near to you, I'm not sure whether it will come up on the screen. It might do. I'm, I'm not sure. Let's see where we were then. We're in the garden where there is a tomb in which Jesus' body had been laid. Mary Magdalene is this lady, this woman who was a follower of Jesus, one of the, the disciples' group, not one of the 12 apostles, but there was a wider group of disciples, including a number of women, and Mary is one of them. And she's in that garden. She's already been there. She went there first. She was so, even while it was still dark, she went to, to, to start the business, or rather complete the business of, of, of anointing Jesus' body because it was buried. And it's still dark, and she gets there, and the tomb is empty. There's no body. 
she, she thinks, she runs off, she, she meets her, or she comes and tells Peter and John, two disciples, what's, that there's nobody. They go to the tomb, there indeed is nobody, uh, and then they leave the tomb again, having not seen anything, uh, bemused in Peter's case, believing in John's case, but that's another story. Mary stays, and this is what happens next. John chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples, that's Peter and John, went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? What, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, because it was a garden that the tomb was in. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet. Now, the word there should be ascended. Modern NIV translations get it right and put ascended. It should be, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So then Mary has the first conversation with Jesus, the first person to speak to him after he is raised from the dead. He catches her by surprise. It's a tender, it's a lovely uh, account, isn't it? He speaks her name. Actually, it's Miriam in Aramaic. And uh, uh, he speaks her name. And she she comes back, Rabboni, which would have been the the way she addressed him in Aramaic, the the language they spoke. And she holds on to him in her joy and her amazement. The first thing he says is this. I am ascending to the Father. I'm ascending to the Father. He says it twice to her. And then he says, tells her to tell the disciples the same thing. What is the significance of that? It's almost as if he's saying to her, don't try and keep me, Mary. I, you know, she, she may have been holding on to his feet. Uh, the custom was you know, uh, that pe- uh, people would, you know, in great emotion, and we, we read other times of the Gospels, people kind of, kind of uh, down, uh, hold on to the, the feet and ankles. It could have been she was hugging him and just holding on to him because she's so amazed to see him again. But whatever, he sa- he, whatever it was, he's saying, don't try and keep me, there's something else going on. And he tells her to go and give the rest of the disciples a message. What's the message about? He says, go and tell them, I am ascending. She has to tell them something really important. He's not just alive. He is more than just alive. He he says, I'm going to return to God. I'm going back to God. I'm going to take, I'm ascending. I'm going to take the place of king of the universe, he says to Mary. As I said, others have been raised from the dead. Only Jesus has taken the place as God, as king over all. 
He's exalted. He's coming into his rightful place. Now, you know, you can, you, we can, I won't go into details, but it's as if you, you say, well, when did the ascension happen? Well, it happened later. And, uh, but Jesus is talking uh, of this whole process. He's saying, you know, th- th- there's a program, there's a plan, as it were, going on. And, and, and I mean it now. It, it was, it, you know, he came, he died, he's raised from the dead, he's ascending to the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come at the end of that. And it's all part of this great kind of sweep of uh, a great movement that God has, is doing through Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is saying, Mary, this is where we are. And tell the others that, that the plan is on, it's happening and at the center of this plan is Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. It's a massive process that, that is in play here. God is on the move, and he's doing it through Jesus. That's why that it's not that he's just alive. The movement back home has started, as it were. It's a bit like, I don't know, in a, in a sense... Uh, I suppose when the Allies landed, you know, in the war in, on D-Day and they, when they took the beaches and they got established, once they were kind of established, the, the, the process had started. The, the, you know, it was going to happen. It was going to be completed. It's going to take a bit of time, but it, it was, it was kind of done. The, the, and Jesus is saying, this is where we are now. This is what's going on. The, the, this is the point in history. And he, he tells us to tell the disciples this. That they are part of something that God is doing in Jesus to bring about the putting right of everything. The, the world is just is out. It's dislocated. It, it's in a mess. It's in rebellion. Even the creation is broken. Everything's busted. And, and although it's still marvelous, it, it's not what it should be. And there's this great plan that God's put into place to, to bring it back together again. And Jesus is saying to Mary in that kind of shorthand and to the other disciples, I'm ascending. It's moving on. The plan is a goer. You know, it's started. It's happening. Now, do we need to get that? Do you need to get that? That you can be, we are, if we're connected to Jesus, part of that. In the flow of that amazing movement of God's mighty works. You might say, what, my life? My little life? Yeah. You're a disciple. We'll see this in this series. We are connected to Jesus, the risen king. He's completed his work. That's why we're part of it, because of what he's done. And we'll see that in other parts of this series. But he tells... Mary, something else. He's going to tell tells Mary to tell the disciples something else. You see what he's, he tells her to say to, to them in verse 17? Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Verse 17. Because he's saying to Mary to tell the disciples that they are more than just followers. See what he calls them? My brothers. That's interesting. Why should he call them that? They were his disciples. He was their teacher. They were the followers. Now Jesus is saying, I see them in a new way. The relationship between me and them is different. They are now my brothers. 
Something has happened. Because he's alive, because he's ascending, because, the, the, if you like, this plan is, is, is fulfilled and, uh, and just kind of being completed, he's made it possible for these men, these women, uh, like uh, Mary, to be in relationship with him. Not just as followers, not even just as friends, but as brothers and sisters, as part of the same family of him. He's died for them. He's taken on death and sin as one of us. The book of Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 2. So he's able to give us this new status. We're brothers of Jesus. Jesus is saying this. Something has changed. What does it mean? Now, not all of us have great relationships with our siblings necessarily. So... You know, have to be a bit careful here. But imagine if you, don't, if you have a rubbish relationship with your sibling, if you have one. Imagine what it'd be like to, you know, to have a really good kind of brotherly, sisterly relationship when it works well. <laughs> to have that kind of, you know, you look out for one another, don't you? You know, you do things together. There's a lot of things about being brothers. It's a sense in which our relationship with Jesus, our Lord, is like, he's like a brother to us. Something's changed. We've been adopted into God's family. He's on our side. We'll see more of that later in this series about how Jesus, because he's the ascended one, is there for us to help us as high priest. See, because Jesus died, we now know God in a, in a similar way to the way Jesus knew him. Be careful about what I, say, what I say here. But it's not the same, but it is similar. Jesus doesn't say, go and tell the disciples I'm sending to our Father. He's used the phrase our Father in another place in prayer. He says, to, to, my Father is your Father. My God is your God. See what, what he's saying? He's saying that there is a way that we can, in a sense, be, be children of God. We can share that status there are ways in which we'll never be like sons and daughters of God in the way Jesus is, obviously. But he's saying you can be adopted. We, we as disciples, as followers of those who, of people who know and love Jesus, can be in his family, like, like, like in the family of God. We're adopted. We have that status of sons and daughters of the living God. And we'll talk about how that comes into our experience later on in this series. When we, we think about, because Jesus is the ascended Lord, he's poured out the Holy Spirit, who reminds us that God is our Father in this deep way, in our very innermost being. That will be coming up in this series. We're adopted in, adopted in. But it's all as a result of Jesus being the ascended Lord, God's King for us. You know, it's amazing that we can be in that relationship with God. Who wouldn't want to be a Christian? <laughs> I mean, what a privilege of having God as our Father, of being in, in the family of God, of having that freedom of access. Whatever the cost, and there is a cost of following Jesus, of course there is, but it must be worth it, mustn't it, to know that security, that place with him. So it's the disciples are more than followers, but it's also more than personal. See, for Mary, the, the joy and the shock, the amazement of seeing Jesus right there just overwhelms her, as I said. She holds on to him. She never wants to let him go. 
And Jesus seems to be saying to Mary, look, you can't keep me here. You can't just hold on to my feet or hug me or just not let me go. There's something more important than that. We, you can't just stay here as it were, just enjoying the moment. Mary, I want you to do something. I'm on the way to be the ascended king and I want you to deliver a message to the rest of the disciples at that simple level. That's what's going on. And I think it's really great. She becomes the very first person to be sent by Jesus with a message. He says, I want you to go, Mary, and I want you to give this message to the rest of the disciples. She's the first. Actually, you know what someone who who is given a message and sent to deliver that message is called? An apostle. That's what the word means. Or a missionary also means that. So the very first one sent with a message from Jesus to tell other people, the rest of the disciples, is Mary Magdalene. A woman with her past. She's the one who Jesus uses. I just, for your observation and interest. He's like that, isn't he, Jesus? He's so gracious, so kind. So with us, it's good to us to have a a personal relationship with Jesus. And we often talk about that. And in our worship, we talk about loving Jesus and almost maybe like Mary, wanting to hold on to him. And we do. That's, That's important. But there's more to it than that. He has got something for each of us to do. We are not just to stand there kind of hugging him, keeping him to ourselves. Because we're part of this big movement. And as we shall see in a moment, that movement involves being sent in his name with his truth, with his presence. Well, but for, the, for, for at this point, Mary understands. She does that. Uh, she obviously lets go of Jesus and she goes off and she tells the rest of the disciples. So let's see what happens next in verse 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. But a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen, sorry, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we won't spend as long on this, um, but I want us to think about what's going on here. This is the king's family. You know, put yourself into the place of the disciples They've been, you know, go back, they've, they've heard from Mary. They must have been trying to get their heads around the message she'd given them. They maybe have been thinking about it all day. Um, 
they're together, they're terrified, they're locked in the, uh, a room, possibly the same room they had the Last Supper in. Um, I don't, guess we don't know for sure. They're keeping their heads down, and why wouldn't they? You know, the Jews had crucified Jesus. Many of them probably thought that they would be next on the list. Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. He shows them his hands and his side. It's him. They're like Mary. They're overjoyed. And he says, Peace be with you. And he repeats it. This is an expression of peace. I think in Hebrew it's something like shalom alaikum, rather like the salam alaikum that um, you know in Arabic, peace be with you, the, the phrase uh, Muslims use. It's a greeting, but it's much more than that. It meant it was rich with meaning at the time. That's why Jesus says it twice. See, the Jews were looking forward to that time when the king they were expecting, when God's program would kind of would kick into place, as it were. And the king would bring peace, God's shalom, God's peace, God's wholeness. That time when brokenness would be put right, when everything would be as it should be, when there would be a restoration. That was the Jewish hope. And when a Jew greeted one another you know, with, with those words, they, they had in, in the back of their minds that, that one day that peace, that total peace, that wholeness would come. And Jesus comes and he declares it. He comes as the risen Lord and he says, peace be with you. One commentator puts it like this. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He did everything that was necessary. This was on Resurrection Day, an equivalent statement. Peace be with you. It's finished on the cross, and I'm declaring that truth to you. You may not see it completely, you know, worked out totally, but it's arrived. It's happening, is what Jesus is saying. And he says that to this group of terrified disciples. See, Jesus has done something. That's the thing. On the cross, it was finished. As he comes, he says, peace be with you. Peace is available. God's wholeness is available. God's salvation can be received. Because he's the ascending king. As king, he declares God's peace. It's in a sense what Mary heard in the garden, put to the disciples again. The plan is on. (laughs) It's a goer. It's happening. That's the message that the disciples are getting. And it's a message that they need to grasp together. Because he stands among them and he declares that the king has come. He declares that God's peace is there for whoever turns to him. And he declares that to them as a group, as a community, together. And isn't this something we need to get hold of together? That's why it's so important to be part of a community that shares that peace, that lives that peace, that works it out in all our kind of brokenness and our messed up lives and the fact that we, we can irritate each other so easily, you know, or we can upset one another or, or all kinds of things can go wrong. Uh, and that's what happens when you're in a family or in a, in a community. And, and it's there that we live out that, that wholeness, that peace, that salvation of God. It's amazing that in the New Testament, whenever someone writes a letter, the New Testament Christians, when they greeted each other, used to add to the word peace, grace, grace and peace, they would say, be with you. 
Grace is all about what God has done for us. We need to be a, a community of grace. So we need one another. Now, I don't need to tell you this because you're here. <laughs> uh, so maybe if there's someone listening online and you never go to any Christian community ever and you just listen online, can I encourage you just to find a Christian community and know this truth, this salvation, this grace in community? And let's us be committed to be that kind of community. They're the king's family. That's why they're his brothers and sisters, so that together they live those renewed relationships with each other. Let's be like that, shall we? And Jesus again talks about their father and the way they know him. But this time he links it to something he's going to do with them. Because he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Because they're in this new relationship with God, because of what Jesus has done, they are part of this program. They are going to be part of the, the, the movement. Jesus says, God, so the Father sent me, I'm sending you. It doesn't mean that he's going to leave them to it. He's involved with them and us in it. We're part of what he will do. We're being sent as the disciples were, with a message of forgiveness and the promise of the Holy Spirit with us. This big move of God is not confined to Jesus coming and ascending. He's sending us as he was sent. He'll continue to work through us. We've got this privilege of being part of the movement, as it were, in an astonishing way. Because his Father is our Father, he's sending us, as the Father sent him. It's the same kind of idea that uh, he shared with Mary. And for Mary, it was more than personal. Don't hold on to me, she was told. Go and tell them. Here, we see that although it's more than personal, it is personal. And that's important. It's personal. And Jesus showing them his scars and, and later telling Thomas to touch him. This Jesus kind of engages with them personally and he does with us too because the Jesus who is on his way to being the exalted glorified king still has those scars this is really important he's still got them and he's going to carry those scars into the very presence of God as ascended king so at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is how the Bible talks about Jesus' exaltation, at the right hand of the majesty on high, there sits a man with scars. Think about that. What might that mean? Our king has scars. He suffered. He knows. He can help. And we'll be learning more about that in the series as well. As we go through, because he suffered, he's been there. He comes uniquely to us. There's a poem. I can read you this poem. It's called Jesus of the Scars. It was written by a, a British poet, not very well-known guy called Edward Shillito, uh, after World War One. As a kind of reaction to it. Here it comes. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus, of the scars. The heavens frighten us. 
They are too calm. In all the universe, we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us. Where is thy balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars, we claim thy grace. If when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands that side of thine. We know today what wounds are. Have no fear. Show us thy scars. We know the countersign. The other gods were strong. But thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Our God has scars. And Jesus comes to Thomas and shows him those scars, reassures him, accepts his worship and promises a blessing. Who's the blessing for? Those who see, sorry, those who believe without seeing. That's us. All of us in this room who believe without seeing, he promises a blessing. So this disciple, these disciples are this community around him, sent out by him, in touch with the Father by the Spirit. So, what do we learn? Jesus is more than alive. He's ascended. He's the King. We're made into a family because of that. We're the family of the risen King. Because he's died, because he's been raised, and because he's exalted, we have that peace, and we're sent out in that movement as part of all that God is doing. Sent out to tell people of forgiveness with his spirit at work, bringing life to us and others. And it's personal. He comes to us like Mary in in disappointment and confusion, and like Thomas in doubt and indignation. He comes into our lives personally if we welcome him. But as the risen, exalted king, he draws us into what he's doing. So we're sent just as he was. And he continues to work in the world through us because he is the exalted king and we're his family. And where is that going to happen? Right where we are. Tomorrow. Today. And then tomorrow. Through this week. In Capita or wherever it is you're hanging out this week, we're sent by our king to be his family. Peter.